lot of great things going on in Hilliard and a lot of great people. We just want to tell some of the good stories of good people and some of the wonderful things that are happening in and around the Hilliard area. We have people who are professional athletes, NCAA champions, business owners, social workers that help the needy in our community. How can we try to tell some of these stories? And maybe we should do a podcast. It's all here in Hilliard. Hit subscribe. We'll be coming to you in late spring 2022. Can't wait to see you. Hello, and welcome to the Thursday edition of our 43026 podcast. Uh, it's our second edition, and I'd like to ask everybody to forgive some of the technical glitches <laughs> we're learning as we we'll go. We'll get better, I promise. <laughs> but we appreciate you listening. Um, so, Andy, what's going on in Hilliard this week? We got a lot of stuff going on this weekend in Hilliard. Um, go Green Hilliard is hosting a recycling collection on Saturday. Styrofoam can be dropped off behind City Hall, and other items such as electronics and paper and cardboard can be dropped off at the community center in Municipal Park beginning from 10 o'clock and it lasts until noon. For more information, you can go to the City of Hilliard's website and click on View All Scheduled Events. And we just want to give you another reminder of the Hilliard Historical Society hosting an open house this Saturday at the Historical Village at Weaver Park. Open house is one to four, admissions free. Uh, there's more information on the Hilliard Ohio Historical Society website. There is snacks, there is drinks, and I believe there's an opportunity to get a reduced admission for the rest of the year. And the musical 1776 is being presented by the Hilliard Arts Council the next two weekends with shows on Friday night and Saturday nights and a matinee on Sunday. You can visit the Hilliard Arts Council website for tickets and more information. Okay. And back to the Hilliard Historical Society, today's uh, podcast features Bob Egerich, who is the Vice President of the Hilliard Historical Society, and we're going to learn all about the Hilliard Historical Village and some pretty neat stuff about Hilliard history. It's a good one. We'll be right back. Today, we're fortunate to have a special guest. we got Bob Egerich who's with the Hilliard, Ohio Historical Society. Um, I assume most people in Hilliard are aware that we do have a historical society located down near, in a historical village located near Weaver Park, um, down near the fairgrounds. And Bob and a large army of volunteers are responsible for everything that goes on there. And I think it'd be great if we could talk about that today and, and learn more about it. So I'm here with my co-host Heather. Hi, I got to go once uh, I think my child was in second or third grade and they did the field trip and I got to go chaperone. So it was really, really a neat thing to see and watch the the children's reactions to, you know, the one room schoolhouse and the outhouse. So it's a really fun thing to talk about. Bob, before we get started talking about the Historical Society, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what brought you to Hilliard? What, what, what's your background? What were you doing before you did this? Just let us know who you are. Well, when I was working, I was a transplant uh, for work. Uh, actually, there was a company, Frigidaire, was located up in Dublin. Uh, it was a uh, appliance manufacturer, and uh, I, I moved up here with them uh, as a, a manager of, of marketing services. and. Uh, worked for them until they closed it down. They moved the, the uh, headquarters to Augusta, Georgia. 
and I was offered a position in um, Tennessee, and it just didn't feel right. I just didn't want to leave the area uh, for unknown area, and so I quit and uh, stayed here. Fortunately, I got a job right after that with uh, uh, Verizon, and I worked in the Twin Towers. It's out located in Hilliard, and uh, worked there for about 15 years, and then I finally retired, and, uh, and that's really when I started my interest in the Hilliard Historical Society. I had a friend, uh, Bob Peterson, who kept saying, you know, you guys, you guys ought to go over there. It's really neat. You know, they need volunteers. And so, you know, I dipped my toe in the water, and uh, pretty soon you start drinking the Kool-Aid and, <laughs> and in with both feet. And uh, Now this year serving as vice president, and in all probability next year as president, and you know how that goes. You just, you get sucked in and, and you enjoy it so much that, you just do it. No, oh, and those are the people that make the difference. So we're glad you're there. Yeah, it's wonderful. Been in Hilliard for 29 years. Um, moved here in 93. And uh, just have watched the town grow and enjoyed the growth. Uh, it's, a, it's amazing how we're far enough away from everything, but we're so close to everything. Right. We've got everything at our, that, and that's what my wife says all the time, everything is at our fingertips, no matter what it is. So we, we just really enjoy the community. That's great. Um, so tell us about the, the Historical Society. I, I assume you have a board and how, how do you function? Okay, the Historical Society was established in 1966. Actually, about two years before that, there was a group of concerned citizens that were worried that the train station with all of its history was going to be lost because it was set for demolish. And that was located at the center, uh, on Center Street, just west of Maine. And so they got together and they talked to the city and said, isn't there something we can do to preserve this? It's just a shame to see that history go away. Uh, and so the city was very cooperative and they said, you know, we've got a little section of Weaver Park right next to the fairgrounds that we could allocate to uh, an historic village and maybe there's some bigger plans, but we could start with the train station. And so that was the first building that was moved there. That was moved in 69. So in 66 is actually when they were incorporated as a group uh, for a nonprofit 501c3 organization. And the outgrowth from that has added on another eight buildings, all of which are over 100 years old. And they're all from the local area. So they're all from this hillier. They're not replications. They are actual buildings that existed. A church, a one-room schoolhouse, a log cabin. Now, the log cabin was a problem. We had to build that from three log cabins because we couldn't find enough good wood from the 1800s to make one I log bet. cabin. Yeah. And so they made a very nice one. There's also a local barn. There is a church. We just got some wonderful buildings on the property. And we changed the, the tour quite often. We've got brand new exhibits this year that we didn't even have last year. And so that's where the village came from. The board uh, is now existing with four officers, obviously a president, a vice president, a secretary, and a treasurer. And then just last year, we started a reorganization where we have identified areas of the village that we would want to have directors for. And so we have seven directors that handle things like marketing and information systems, all, all the functional areas that you need to operate an organization like that. And then under them, we have different categories like communications, advertising, 
much like you'd structure a business organization. The difference is that it's all volunteer. So we have many people that wear many hats. They, they, may, be the, they may be an officer, but they're also a committee leader of some sort. And um, we have about 240 people uh, on the books for our mailing list. Okay. Of those, we've got about mm, around 40 that are active. The rest of the people are very supportive, usually financial support or, but in, their, in their membership, but they, for one reason or another, aren't able to come and help. Some of them it's because of age, some of it's physical conditions, maybe a variety of things. Uh, but those 40 people boil down to about nine people that are the leadership uh, of, the, of the area. So we're always looking for volunteers to add on, to be more active, and uh, have many, many opportunities in a variety of areas, the least of which is just being a tour guide. Because now we're open Saturdays and Sundays from one to five, and so we always need a couple of docents or tour guides to be able to take people around the village and show them all of the rich history that we have of the Hilliard area. Are, are you open like every month of the year? We're open from April through October. Okay, yeah, uh-huh. I guess it gets cold. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, even though we close for public tours in the fall, we have the Haunted Village, which has just been a wonderful success. Children just love to come through. We decorate the entire village as a haunted village. Oh, that's And fun. then take the kids through. It's that mixture of an entertainment and just enough scariness just for enough. the children <laughs> that they enjoy it. Uh, and then in December, we have Santa come, and he sits in the train station, and the children can tell him what they want for Christmas. And we have Mrs. Claus there, just uh, a very enjoyable time. We have elves running around the place, <laughs> and the buildings are then open for tours. I, I wish I would have done that with my kids. I'm actually kind of sad that I'm past that point, but... You got a chance this year. I guess I'm not too far it, off of grandkids yeah, at some point. Say, so. Eventually, the grandkids will be there. <laughs> yeah. So you said this all started with the train station being moved. How how did the rest of the buildings come about? I mean, how do you how do you get a schoolhouse there? How do you get a barn there? And how's the rest of this work? That same leadership kept looking around. If it was going to be an historic village, they knew that they had to have some other buildings. So they kept looking around at the local area, saying, you know, what's a prospect? What's something that we could put in the village that would add to the historic value? And uh, and you're right. The schoolhouse, one-room schoolhouse, was one of those that came up. And it it was only because it was available at that time. Now, the challenge of getting it there was that it was too tall to run through the city without removing all of the overhead wires and signs and everything. Oh, sure. So they had to chop it off, chop the top off, at the gutter line, which then took it up about 10 feet, which then could clear everything. So they put that on one truck, and then they put the roof assembly all on another truck, and then brought it all to the village, built a new foundation, and then put it all back together again. An amazing task. Oh, for real. And with that one-room schoolhouse, was it originally at Cosgray and Scioto Darby? Is that where I think I read? Yeah, I believe that is correct. Cosgray Road at Scioto Darby, and it was moved there in 71. 77, excuse me. And I remember you had a, a wonderful story about how the one-room schoolhouse worked. They had many grades in it with just one teacher. And, and as Heather and I both have backgrounds in public education, I can't imagine how that would possibly 
work is an effective way for education. I can't either. It, it, that, that's just amazing that a school mom or a, a school teacher would be able to handle eight grades of students. I mean, my goodness, just the, the, the subject matter alone right. of the different levels. Uh, but that's why we have desks of different sizes to accommodate the children as they grow. And we also have a study bench, which is up front. That was the key to control. So the teacher would be able to stand up front. She would bring the class or the subject of that session up front with her so that they were able to do their work right in front of her. But because of her, the way she was standing, she could also see all the rest of the kids so that they wouldn't misbehave uh, or minimize, you know, stop the misbehavior before it got out of hand. And so that was her primary control. You've got to remember back then, the school teacher ruled everything. She had the ability to embarrass the students without yeah. repercussions from the parents. She could wear, make them wear a dunce cap and stand in the corner. <laughs> I bet they paddled too, oh, yeah. You know, the punishment that they got at school was nothing like the punishment they would get at home if the teacher, you know, if that information got to the parents. It's a different world. Now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they also could paddle the children yeah. if they were really bad. Uh, so it a totally different world. But, you know, when you're trying to control eight grades of children right. in all that range, there's got to be somebody of authority that, that can wield the stick. So, absolutely. So, and then back to the train station. You had some great stories about how the train station operated, and, and as you said, that was right here in Old Hilliard originally. Yeah. yeah, fascinating story is that John Reed Hilliard founded the Hilliard Village. Well, the, the reason he was involved with that was that he was a civil engineer for what at that time was called the Columbus Piqua and Indiana Railroad, CP&I. Um, it was a short line railroad. It actually only ran from Columbus to the western edge of Ohio. Now there was an extension that they were linked to that went all the way to Indianapolis, but a different railroad. Back then, and if we're talking mid-1800s, there was a lot of investment, speculative investment in railroads because they recognized that it was the, the, the best mode of transportation sure. of course, prior to automobiles and prior to trucks, prior to interstate highway systems. If you wanted something, you had to order it by rail. It was the Amazon of its period. So there was a, a lot of speculation that was being done. Well, John Hilliard was on the board also of the CPNI Railroad. And because of his position, he knew where the railroad was going to run. My goodness, he laid it out. So he knew where it was going to run. Well, he ended up buying up property on either side of the railway coming into the Hilliard area. And at that time, then, he parsed it out and he sold it to local investors or local businesses or local farmers for a profit. Now, if you think about it, today, that would be a problem because he actually sold it with insider information Absolutely. and of course today you that's illegal but back then he was considered an entrepreneur it was just an investor so fascinating story yeah that's it's a great story and it's it's something to think about next time you're on the heritage trail riding yeah. your bike or walking or jogging about all the history and how yeah, yeah. that's how Hilliard started was was because of a rail line and of course we do celebrate our our train heritage with with different murals around town and and the Hilliard Station and the different names, but it's something to think about every time you're on that Heritage Trail that, that back 100, 
200 years ago. It was how Hilliard got started. And it was fascinating that if you think about the progress of things, Hilliard was a farming area back then. It didn't really have a definition. Well, the minute that you establish a rail stop, now you have an end point for commerce. And so the railroad ran through a lot of small towns, but it didn't stop. Well, once Hilliard's station was established, you could ship to that point. Once you could ship to that point, you became a destination on a map. And once you became a, desti on a, a destination on a map, you were able to do commerce. Right, people would and be- And commerce yeah, built the bring town. their businesses. Yep. So it was, it was a critical element to the, to the start and growth of Hilliard. So great. So you mentioned that you guys are now open from 1 to 5 o'clock on Saturdays and Sundays. Yes, thank goodness to, to the, the foresight of the city of Hilliard. They granted us a money on an experimental program to pay for two part-time workers for Saturday oh. and Sunday as nice. docents for the building. And then we back those people up with volunteer docents in case we get a crowd. But yes, it's, it, it's a program that we're going doing this year. For, so we'll be open Saturdays and Sundays from 1 to 5. And that's every weekend from, um, from April through October. Now, in addition to that, then about every month, we have some key events that we do to um, make the public more aware of things that we've got in the village. For example, we've got an open house that's coming up very soon, and that'll be on the, on the 23rd of April. And that'll be from 1 to 4, even though that would be a normal day we would be open. We're having special events. There's free admission, free tours. Donations are welcome, of course. We operate on donations. And we've got trained docents and self-guided tours and drinks and snacks will be provided. It'll, it'll be a lot of fun. There's a chance for getting a special membership offer that day if you okay. come. If you, we'll, we'll be explaining that membership offer to anybody that comes. We're going to have drawings for grand prizes and uh, giveaways. We're going to have swag bags of information about the village uh, and about uh, uh, the area. There'll be a food truck there in case you didn't have your own food. So, you know, come and see us at the Norwich Pavilion, and that'll be on Saturday, uh, the April 23rd from 1 to 4. That sounds like a, a great event and a great way to get to know the village. Yep. Um, on a normal Saturday, do you guys charge admission or...? No, everything is free. Again, uh, we have to thank the city of Hilliard. They've been so kind to us, granted us money to cover our operating expenses, our utilities, our insurance, the day-to-day -day activities, which has then allowed us to be able to provide services to the public so that they didn't have to pay. It's really embarrassing if, for example, we're open all of the, uh, the fair week with the village. Well. You know, they're paying an admission to get into the sure. fair, then to turn around and say, well, now you got to pay us money to come to the village. It's like, yeah, but I already paid admission to the fair. So we never, ever thought that it was a good idea to charge people. But economically, it's, it's, it cost us $80 a day, 365 days a year, wow. to keep that place open. And so, it, you know, it, it's a very, so we rely heavily on donations. And yeah, the, the money the city provides is a very, very small part of that. It's, it's the foundation money. Yeah. And then we use our investments and we use the donations to do things like we've just done in this last year. We rebuilt three different displays inside the new museum. We've got a whole farming display that's really fascinating. It's an area for poultry. It's an area for um, 
the uh, milking of cattle and for beekeeping. And we've got brand new displays for those three items where we can talk about what it was like back then when we were primarily a farm community. And those were three basic functions that took place just for economic sake. Oh, sure. Probably the main functions. It was. Yeah. yeah, that was the main income for some of the farmers. And we've got stories to tell about how they candled eggs back then, um, how you separated milk from cream. A lot of people don't realize that cream is actually lighter than milk. And it rises to the and top. And it rises to the top, yeah. which is an old adage. Sure. If you're old enough, you remember that. But, I'm old but enough. they don't they don't think about that and so there had to be somebody engineered a cream milk separator uh, to separate the two out and of course what do we do with cream we make ice cream which is really <laughs> great um, how many people would you say come through April to October oh my goodness we don't really have a, a good count it varies by year 2021 was really a very slow year for us. Uh, yeah. But between that and special events, we have thousands come through. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, and all learning something as yeah. they're coming through. Yeah. And, and all of them will come to different events. Like in the spring, we've got the open house. In the fall, our big event is called Heritage Days. And we actually have artisans from that time period. We've got a blacksmith that's, that's actually got a blacksmith shop active and working. We've got a rope maker. We've got a candle maker. We've got artisans who are doing the crafts. Of the that, time period. Yeah, that would have been done. They're, these are things that you would all buy locally, by artisans that were in that time period. So it's, it's really fascinating for, and kids love to see it. I mean, they, it's just very, very enjoyable. I always thought candle making was so cool, especially like if you dipped yep, it and yep. you got, when I was a kid and of course um, last year we a had million a, years ago but yeah we and no i didn't dip candles just for light because i guarantee you people are going to be listening and ask if i'm that old i'm not <laughs> but um I am. But, but i do i do think i did think it was a really neat thing and i know as a kid i loved doing it so we were showing the children last year how they make butter and so we had little jars and we put the cream in there and, and just have them shake, shake it for it. about five minutes and it would turn into a little ball of butter. They just thought that was the greatest thing. And then they had a cracker and they could spread it on there and actually consume it. And things like that that are just, it's its a lost art. People, you know, you yes. buy it in the store and, oh, well, it's butter, sure. Yeah, where does it come from? Yeah, right, <laughs> right. have no idea. Comes from Kroger. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, you guys also have a museum on site? Yes, that was the largest building. Actually, it's two parts. Uh, the, there was a, a section that was built in 84 and then another addition that was added on in 2004. We're about at the point where we need to add on another addition. We have got it crammed full of, of fascinating artifacts. We've got rooms that show a, a post office and a general store from the turn of the century and just really neat. If you wanted to get anything that wasn't handmade at home here, you had to buy from the general store. And so we've got this whole display that shows all the kinds of things that you could buy. Very innovative things back then, but things that are so common now you don't even think about them. We've got a barber shop that was turn of the century, and we explained to people that barbers at that time actually did more than just barbering. They did some minor surgery. No. They did dental work. <laughs> did, I, did you wash the scissors, buddy? Or <laughs> yeah, could I have a shave and a haircut? And would you pull this tooth? You know, <laughs> just wow. <laughs> um, and uh, 
So it's fascinating for people to realize how broad their job was. Yeah. We've got a parlor that is a fascinating room where the adults would go for respite after dinner. Children typically weren't allowed in there, but they would entertain their, their friends or neighbors or something like that, maybe playing a photograph, maybe looking at a stereoscope, which was a device much like a VR is today, except it was a manual 3D viewer. And, uh, and suitors would come and the parents would interview the suitor for the daughter in that room, kind of putting them on the spot. You know, what are your intentions for our daughter? <laughs> I have a 19-year-old daughter. I feel like that's the kind of thing we need to start bringing back. Yeah, right. <laughs> I agree. It would have been a great period to live in, but for one thing, I can't fathom not having air conditioning. Oh. I think I think I would have died with that. <laughs> so. Well, we, ha we have an air-conditioned cabin, and the, in the wintertime, we run the fireplace, and in the summertime, we open all the windows, so it's air-conditioned. That's great. That's great. Um Tell me, tell me more about the cabin. I remember you, you talking about that earlier um, and all the, the bedding and the neat stuff that's in there. Let me tell you about the log cabin. Uh, that was built from three log cabins about in the 1850s time period. It took us three cabins to make one because we couldn't find enough good wood to build a cabin from and so we, we relied on area cabins that were being torn down or, or were in disrepair and we were able to get the materials but the cabin was constructed just like it was back in the 1850s it was actually uh, built in the village in 1962 and the cabin uh, normally you would have a, a loft at the upper level where you would take advantage the heat rises so they would they would sleep in the upper level but most of the time, that was accessed by a ladder, like you see in Little House on the Prairie. Right. There's that's, a perfect That's example. exactly what I my head went to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in our case, we did have enough wood that we could actually build a stairwell into a second level. So we really got a full bedroom upstairs. And the center point of that bedroom is a four-poster bed, which they called a cannonball bed. And that was because on each post, there's a small round wooden ball, ball that looks like a cannonball. Sure. Well, the uniqueness about that bed is that it is a rope bed. So from side to side and front to back are lengths of rope tied around the frame. And every night they would tighten those ropes to make sure that the bed wouldn't sag and you would end up all rolling together into the middle. Then for a mattress, they used corn husks that were available from the farming that they did. And they would put those in a great big bag and make a mattress out of corn husks. Well, the disadvantage of corn husks are that they might have bugs in them. Right. And so... <laughs> Bed it, bugs. Yeah, it could be a bit of a problem. Well, ironically enough... I'm, I'm itching children, right now. I'm literally trying to... I'm like... <laughs> oh, yeah. Before the children would go to bed, first thing they would do is tighten all those ropes, and then they would check the mattress to make sure that there was nothing on there. And then they would put the children to bed, and then they would typically say the expression that you've heard today sleep tight, meaning draw the ropes tight, and don't let the bed bugs bite. Well, there you and go. that's where that I phrase did not from. know that. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, I did not know that either. That's wonderful. And then out behind the cabin, we've got an outhouse. Goes back a long time in history. Um, very uncomfortable, but at least you had outdoor plumbing, in effect, by digging a well and putting an outhouse over it. Um, Ever find any 
kids sneaking back in there and using we, it we have to keep it locked unfortunately but it because yeah, yes it, that's exactly what a kid would do <laughs> it, yeah they they would want to just see what was in there now we do open it for special events and we usually put a chain across and actually we turn it into a donation station oh that's good so idea. people can throw money in uh, what would have been the well you know that was built that that's hilarious yeah, it is speaking of money interesting story is that because People wouldn't normally go in the outhouse unless that was theirs. People had the habit of storing money in the outhouse rather than storing it under their mattress so that they wouldn't be robbed. Find that a fascinating story. Right. Who's going to go in, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> like... and, and if you think about it, you know, you find in old outhouses, you find old Sears catalogs. Well, that was the original repurposing of, of toilet paper. And so they would use the old catalogs because it was, toilet paper was a premium back then. It was a premium in 2022, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there might have been. It's, it's too bad Sears doesn't still produce a catalog, <laughs> right. right? We could end up using it. How about just do you ever rent out the space? Can I, like, I don't know, there throw are, my kid's graduation party there? There are four structures uh, that the Hilliard Parks and Recs have um, put us in charge of uh, to be able to rent out for, for uh, revenue. One of them is the pavilion that's sitting right on the property. That We call that the Norwich Pavilion. Okay. Uh, and that's large enough that you can put on a very large party or a reception. It's rented for a variety of different events. It's, it's busy a lot of the time. Right next to that is our church. And uh, that Caldwell Church uh, is rented out for weddings or for services, both religious services and for funerals. Um, and, and that's usually booked up quite a bit in advance. We have quite a bit of, of weddings that are held. A lot That's of people cool. like the idea of having It would be really cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's plenty of facilities. There's plenty of free parking around that. And so, and, and it's heated, so we can use it during the wintertime. But a fascinating story about the church is that the ministers, the minister of the church decided that in when they were going to name it, that they would have a drawing and so people would buy tickets to name the church. Well, the current minister's wife at that time, the tickets were 25 cents, which was kind of expensive, but they were trying to raise money. So she bought 100 tickets, oh. which kind of loaded the box. Yes. And so when they drew the ticket, oddly of enough, one of her tickets was drawn, which is where the name Caldwell come from. He was the original minister of that church, and that's how it got its name. Very interesting. The uh, the pavilion what is a great example, and I have to give all the credit to our Norwich Township trustees because that was their idea, and they paid for the construction of that, and all the city agreed to do in return was to maintain it. But that was a little bit of cooperation between the township and the city back when that wasn't happening very often. Yeah. And it was a wonderful thing to get done and it, it shows what we can do and we all work together. But but that idea was all the Norwich Township's trustees to do that and they provided the money for it. And it's and a beautiful pavilion. Absolutely beautiful space. It'd be yeah. a great place for, it's for well like you said, a graduation party or yep. something like yep. that. The way it's set up, it's just really well engineered. And then in addition, we have another pavilion that is um, right down the street at Columbia in Norwich. And that is the SBC pavilion. It actually is owned by now what's AT&T, yeah. but we call it the SBC Pavilion. Uh, and then we also, in the green, we have a gazebo. 
and we can rent that out for a small thing like a band, for a, a concert, for a, uh, a choral sing group. So we have those four facilities that we can rent out. Helps us with, with trying to get revenue without just donations. That's great. Tell us about your board. Did I hear you have recently um, have kind of an interesting new board member? Yes, and so I had said that we've got the four officers and then we've got seven board areas. Uh, one of the board members that we have that was elected is a 14-year-old uh, middle school student, and his name is Cole Heyer, H-Y-E-R. Cole's one of those rare individuals that, although he's only 13 years of age, his interest in the village is about at the 25-year-old level. That's uh, amazing. They're very rare to, to find somebody that's, that's that grounded and that interested in the history of the area. He's been active for three or four years uh, and uh, never loses interest. And it's just wonderful to have him on board. And so they wanted to recognize him by having him as a board member to represent youth. Obviously, the, the, a lot of the people, the volunteers, are reaching an age where they become inactive. Um, Cole is representing a, a whole group of, of fresh new people that will make the history, make the, the, the village go much further. And did you, um, I, I don't know if I'm getting the date right, did you, are you doing it today or have you done it recently, unveiled a black history exhibit? We are going to have the black history exhibit up and running by the open house on the 23rd. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the involvement of Merchants Park and the recognition of the black history of Hilliard is just something that we, we, we need to house that. We, we need to have that. I mean, it goes back to the, to the founding of history. Right. I mean, of, of the, uh, or at least of the of the town of the town. Yeah, uh, and uh, they played uh, quite a significant role, which you, know, you don't realize. That's right. And we also have a memorial garden that we're going to put in that will recognize some of the local history people that were involved in the Little Bighorn battle who had lost their lives. There were there were three gentlemen that were actually from Alton who have a link to Hilliard because of their descendants putting their children through the grade schools in Hilliard. So the three soldiers were, were Harrington, McGrath, and O'Hara. And uh, they will be recognized with monuments and a dedication to their involvement and, and their link to the local area. And that'll be done about the middle of August, uh, August 13th actually. And uh, we're going to have quite a presentation and uh, hope, to, hope that we get the, the city involved in that presentation, Absolutely. almost like a grand opening. Yeah, that sounds really great. Yep. Um, Bob, as we try to promote this historical village, how can people that are listening to this, how can they help you guys out? I mean, I'm sure one by, by being there on April 23rd or being there on any Saturday or Sunday to go through. Um, Which they can get on our website. They can look at, at, at a calendar of events on our website. In fact, it's one of the first things that pop up. Um, also electronically, they can donate money. We just recently moved our website to a new to a new platform, so that we would have the ability to offer people opportunities to either apply for membership uh, on the website, so they could use a credit card or, or electronic payment, um, or that they could donate money to the to the uh, society. Which obviously we need that with the cost of operation the way it is. 
And, is there uh, a place to sign up to volunteer yeah, on there? Yeah, they can volunteer. That's where they would register if they wanted to bring a group for a private tour. That's where the school teachers would go if they wanted to request a school tour. So it's very active website. And, and what's that website address? That is the Hilliard Ohio Historical Society.com. Okay. That's all one word. That's great. That's great. Well, we appreciate you being here today. Um, is there anything we missed or that, that you'd like to say to sum up the visit here today? Come and see us. You know, there's something new. Almost every time you turn around, we've got, we've got new displays and new things going on. Uh, we just added a model train to the train station to try to give everybody that comes through a visualization, a physical visualization, of where the train ran, that it started in the western edge of Ohio and it ran all the way through into Columbus but stopped in Hilliard. So we're trying to find artwork that we can use around that to help that visualization. But things like that, we're always looking at new opportunities to change the displays to make something more current or new but still historic value of the Hilliard area. Please come to the village and enjoy the rich history that we have in the I'm going to come. I'm coming to the open That's house. Great. <laughs> well, Bob, I just met you several weeks ago, and it seems like I see you everywhere now. <laughs> your enthusiasm, your excitement about this, it, it shows right off the bat. So I'd just like to say the work you're doing is much appreciated. But not only you, your board and all your volunteers, it, it's another example of something that something good that's happening in our community that wouldn't be happening if people didn't volunteer their time and their efforts and their talents to, to pull something like this off. And it's truly something that's special and unique to Hilliard. And, and we should value it, and I encourage people to come out and see you. We consider a diamond in the rough, and, and we hope that that's true. We hope that that happens more. Thanks for coming today. I learned a lot. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thank you very much. Good. The 43026 podcast is brought to you from our studios at the Hilliard Chamber of Commerce in fabulous Old Hilliard. The Chamber has a long history of fueling connections, community growth, and helping local businesses thrive. This episode was engineered by Heather Keck, original music by Kaylin Sipple.